0: Good morning, everybody. I want to welcome you to the Lighthouse of Faith and Worship. Those of you who are listening online, I just want to welcome you into our congregation this morning. And I pray that the message that you hear this morning is encouraging, uplifting, corrective. Whatever it is that the Holy Spirit means for this message to be, I pray that you would receive it. And that it would enrich your life. And it would point you to Jesus. Welcome. Other things that were going on. It starts with where you're sitting. Comfort starts with where you're sitting. And those chairs were really uncomfortable. <laughs> it was hard to, you know what it was though? I, I know now why those people wanted a half hour service because after about 20 minutes, your rear end began to hurt. You want comfort. Am I, can I get an amen? <laughs> you wanted service to be over. Now, we have these nice, cushy, soft cues. And we still want service to be over Because we want to be comfortable. We don't want the pastor to preach on anything that might make me. Sorry, Lord? No. We don't want the pastor to preach on anything that might make me feel uncomfortable. We want comfortable messages. We want messages that tickle our ears. We want messages most importantly that get us out the door 30 minutes later. The St. Domino's. Amen? St. Domino's. I come with no guarantee other than I want to point you to Jesus. Amen? I want to point you to Jesus. And and sometimes we point to Jesus by pointing out that there are deficiencies in our own lives. In Matthew chapter 11, verse 20 through 21, I want to read it and I want to read Luke chapter 13 through 16. So, I'm sorry, verse 20 through 24 in Matthew 11 and verse 13 through 16 in Luke 10 13 through 16. Now both of these are, again, are the same account of this, different accounts of the same thing. So let's turn to Matthew 11, uh, verse 20 through 24. Then he began to rebuke the cities which most of his mighty works had been done because they did not repent. The cities. What's that mean? They did not repent. The cities did not repent. That means a majority, I think. The majority of the population would not repent. So because of the majority of the population would repent, wanted their own thing, wanted their own idea of who Jesus was, they weren't going to change, Jesus rebuked them. He rebuked all of them. Hey, do you know that sometimes, God, you're in part of the group that's getting rebuked even though you might be doing the right thing, you might be living for God, you might be loving God, but you're part of the group. And rebuke covers you as well. How do we know this? We'll get to that later, but there's a story that happened in Genesis where, where, where Abraham was negotiating with God for the lives of his, his family. And he said, you know, hey, Lord, if there's, if there's just this many that are righteous, will you spare it? And God said, if there's that many righteous, I'll spare it. And he just kept going down the line, and he got to the end, and there wasn't any righteous there. And so the entire city, save Lot and his family, were destroyed. Because the rebuke covered everybody. The the correction covers everybody. Amen. Woe to you, Chorazin. Underline that. That city, that's capitalized, that's a city, a town. Woe to you, Bethsaida. Underline that, that's another town. For if the mighty works which were done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. Sackcloth and ashes. What's that mean? They would have repented not only just verbally. They would have repented ceremonially. They would have repented outwardly. Their level of repent would have been so great that there would have been no doubt to anybody around that they were turning from, from their sin. Sackcloth and ashes. You know, a lot of times we go to churches. The American church is a church with no shame. And I, I don't say that to... To be smart, I don't say that to, um, to do anything other than to say that there's no shame in the church. We think, yes, the Word of God says that we've been released of all shame, we've been uh, uh, absolved of all shame, all of our, He's taken away all of our shame and all of our sorrows, but you know what? The shame of our sin never follows us in the church. It, it rarely follows the people of America into the church. Because if it did, the altar would be full. I'll take care of that at home. I don't want to do this in in front of my my church family. I I don't want to hold up the church service. Man, the altar should be full. It should be full. But there's no shame in church anymore. Because there's no outward expression. There's no, hey, don't look at me because I'm drawing attention to myself. Look at me because I want you to know where my heart is at. I'm repentant. I have sinned against God. I I I have set myself up as God in my life and And he has made it real to me that I am not. And we don't turn from that. We don't repent from that. We don't repent from that attitude. We don't turn away from that attitude or that mindset. Tyre and Sidon was a proud couple of nations. And they always pushed God away. And Jesus is saying, if I would have done the miracles that I'm doing in all of yours, that you've all seen... You've seen me feed these people. You've seen me heal the lepers. You've seen me heal the paralytics. You've seen me raise the dead. If they, if Tyre and Sidon would have witnessed that, they would have repented sackcloth and ashes. But what was going on with these towns? They saw these things and they, they came to see the show. They wanted to see the show. So put Jesus up on the box. Dance for us, Jesus. That's what they wanted. He says, woe to you... Corzine. Woe to you Bethsaida. You want to see Jesus dance, but you don't, want to, you don't want to turn from your sin. Go and see the show and hope I'm out the door in 30 minutes. Tyre and, have, Tyre and Sidon would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes, but I say to you, it will be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon in the day of judgment than for you. Because you know what? Even though Tyre and Sidon were stuck in their sin, their hearts would have received Jesus because of who he was. But woe to these towns. Woe to these populations that would essentially turn their back on him unless he performed for them. Verse 23 And you, you comfortable village, you, you jumbled up mess without order, you, Capernaum, who are exalted to heaven, will be brought down to Hades. For if the mighty works which were done in you had been done in Sodom, in Sodom, we know what happened with Sodom, don't we? If what had been done in Capernaum had been done in Sodom, it would have remained until this day. But I say to you, thou shalt be more tolerable in the land of Sodom in the day of judgment than for you. Because you were comfortable, you were set on your ways, and you wouldn't change. And you were a jumbled up mess, and I came to fix it, and you wouldn't let me. Jesus is showing a little of the God of the Old Testament right here. The one that everybody says is so hateful and mean. No, Jesus is saying, look, you have, you have you've sold your soul down the river. Because you want to be comfortable. Because you're okay with the mess in your life. It's going to be more tolerable for that place that we destroyed, that I burned off the map. More tolerable for them than it will be for you. Over in Luke chapter 10, verse 13 through 16. It's a little bit shorter um, description, but he says, Woe to you, Chorazin, woe to you, Bethsaida, for the mighty works which were done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon. They would have repented long ago sitting in sackcloth and ashes. Sitting in sackcloth and ashes. Do you know what that means? That means that, remember that movie, The Scarlet Letter? She had to wear Hester Prynne was her name, I think. Had to wear this she committed adultery, and everywhere she go, she had to wear this red A on her chest, so that everywhere she went in her little town, the first thing that anybody saw of her was that she was an adulteress, and it brought shame to her. And people wouldn't talk to her, and they mocked her, and they 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 uh, scorned her. This sitting in sackcloth and ashes is a little that a little bit like that, except that God didn't put that. God didn't put our sin on us to shame us. These people sat down openly, exposing themselves for who they were. It didn't necessarily, what what they did wasn't necessarily important as what their response was to what they did. They humbled themselves and they sat in sackcloth. What is sackcloth? Anybody know what sackcloth is? Burlap. Bag material, the cheapest material you could own. And they sat in that, and they sprinkled ashes on their head. You know what? I think of that. Sprinkled ashes on their head. Now, this is what I think. I I can't say this what this means, but what are ashes the remnants of? The ashes are remnants of a fire that's gone out. Think about that. Come yourself in the the worst material and you sprinkle evidence of the fact that the fire in you has gone out. You you, You sprinkle ashes on yourself and the fire's gone out. And really what you're saying, I believe, when you come to that place where you repent in front of everybody and the fire's gone out, Lord, fill me up again. Set me on fire, Lord. I'm sorry, Lord, I let my fire go out because I got comfortable and I got okay with being out of order. And a mess. And I I was alright with that Lord. But humility says Lord set me on fire again for you. But it's going to be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon. At the judgment than for you. And you Capernaum who are exalted to heaven. That's a message to us in our comfort and in our mess. God still exalts you to heaven. God still wants to lift you up to heaven. God still desires a relationship with you in spite of your wanting to be comfortable and in spite of you living in your mess. It doesn't change God's love for you. But we take that too far. We, we take that whole grace idea there too far. That oh, I'll, just, I'll be fine until I, I'm on my deathbed. Or I'll be fine until, uh, you know, maybe not today, but maybe a year from now. Or maybe two years from now. Uh, I'll respond to what Jesus has done for me. I'll tell other people about what Jesus has done for me. But, but not today. We'll see, it's because we're still living in comfort. And we've got our relationship with God out of order. We've put ourselves before God. I learned in, in third grade, I would never really been exposed to church for, per se, except to go to church once or twice when I was a little kid. Um, but I remember when I, I, I came back to Michigan, and my parents put me in a parochial school. They put me in a, a Lutheran school, and it was run by two Lutheran churches, and everybody that went to that school went to one of those two churches. And I learned something, and it stuck to me. And it's probably the only thing I ever learned at that school that stuck with me through the last part of third grade and all of fourth grade. And it was this. Joy. We need to learn how to have joy. And guess what joy is? Joy is order. Joy, joy is not a jumbled up mess. Joy is Jesus, others, and yourself. There's no messed up order there. You, yaj. Anybody know what yaj means? No? It means there's no order. Because you're putting yourself above others and above Jesus teach me that. I just figured that out for myself. If I will learn to put Jesus before myself, if I will learn to put others before myself, then I'm I'm in order. But so many of us are comfortable with the the odds. All me, all me, all the time, and nobody else, it doesn't matter, just me. I have been guilty of it. And I I promise you, if, if you would admit to yourselves, like it says in James, if you would Deal with what's going on in your own life. Many of you would walk out of sickness and walk out of disease and walk out of dissension and walk out of disorder and dysfunction. But we can't get that simple thing down when it comes to dealing with ourselves. Who's clicking? Stop. Sorry, I'm on a roll. Thank you, Lord. The state of the world today is this. If you Depends on who you ask. Um, many people are going to say that we're living in the best times. Some people are saying we're living in the best times. Now I want you to think about that. Think about what kind of people are probably saying that. And then look at the, the macro picture as you see it. Does this look like the best times? Does this look like we are not wanting for anything. The stock market looks like a roller coaster at Cedar Point. The, the, the hospitals are full of sick people. The people are out um, arguing and protesting in the streets. And family members, it's like civil war. We have family members arguing with family members over ideals and beliefs. And we can't talk about Jesus. We can't talk about. Sin, we can't talk about what needs to be changed. All we can talk about is the plank in our brother's eye. And we don't deal with the speck in our own. I don't make a habit of watching a lot of news, but whenever I hear something negative about the world that we're living in, you know where I see it? I see it on the news. So I try not to watch the news. In my three-foot view of the world around me, what's that mean, my three-foot? The things that affect me right here. In my view of the world around me, the things that I see, um, things don't seem so out of order for what's around me, you know, that I can control. Those things don't seem so out of order. They don't seem so out of order if I put Jesus first. But I know people whose three-foot world around them they don't even want to reach out and touch anything within three feet of them because something's going to fall in on them. I was talking to somebody the other day, and she said to me, she said, do you know, I haven't prayed in over a year and a half. And then just the other day, I prayed. And she said, but I don't want to follow Jesus because if I do, I know everything's going to fall down around me. And I said, you know that's a lie from the enemy, right? You know what's going to happen is the facade that you have put up, thinking you have set yourself up in safety because you haven't approached God, and you've put up these walls, the facade is going to fall down when you come to Jesus. And what happens there, I said, when, when the facade falls down, you're going to see your need for Jesus is so great. And whether you accept Jesus or you chase after Jesus with everything in all your heart or not, the facade eventually is going to come down. The protective walls that you have put up around you is going to come down. Now, she didn't make any kind of profession for the Lord or anything like that, but, but I believe that I was planting some seeds there. I wanted to encourage her that, you know what? I, I told her, I said, that's just proof right there that people who love God and believe God and follow Jesus don't have perfect, easy lives. The rain falls on us just like it falls on you. Our cars don't start. Our, our, our bills don't stop mounting up. Our, our situations with friends and family don't just magically get 100% better. Because guess what? Even though you've changed and you're trying to put other people ahead of yourself, they don't see it that way. All they see is all the... It's the Amway salesman coming again. He's coming to sell me soap. Soap is Jesus. And the next thing you know, they, don't, they stop answering their phone, or they don't answer the email, or they don't answer the call, or they don't come to the door. They're in the house, you know, they can see you through the shade, knocking on the door. No, no. We don't want anything to do with him. The world's out of order. The world is living in a state of Capernaum. And it's only that when we look outside of the, the periphery, of our, periphery of our three-foot space, our little force field around us that tries to, our little facade, it's only when we look beyond that that we really see how, to, how out of sorts everything is. If you think everything in your life is good right now, if you think everything in your life is perfect right now, and you're not serving Jesus, it's not. Nothing could be further from the truth. You're holding up the walls with toothpicks, hoping they don't fall in. As we look at our text today, two things jump out to me. We see judgmental Jesus. We see judgmental Jesus, and people don't like judgmental Jesus. People don't like Jesus who points things, pokes holes in their theories and their ideas. You know who has a problem with truth? People who have things to hide. That's who has problems with truth. When Jesus comes into your life and he starts poking holes in all your theories, and you get offended by it, you know why you get offended by it? You know why you get offended by it when Jesus points out sin in your life? When the word of God convicts you and the Holy Spirit convicts you of your sin, do you know why you get offended by that? Because God's poking holes in your theories. God's messing with your comfortable village. Or God's calling you to bring your, your jumbled mess without order into order. This this thing here, I need, you gotta drop that over here. You gotta let that go. Leave that right there. Don't even touch it again, leave it alone. But 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 it's my thing. It's my favorite thing. Leave it alone. Don't pick it up again. That's judgmental Jesus. We we look at the two cities and we compare them to two wicked cities, right? Chorazim and and Bethsaida. They get compared to two wicked cities, side and tire. Do you know what what Chorazim stands for? I can't help it whenever I see that word Chorazim. It only appears twice in the Bible. But when I saw it, I thought... (laughs) Mexican breakfast sausage. (laughs) That's chorizo. Come on. Chorazim. Chorazim literally does not have meaning. It's one of the only names you'll find in the Bible that has no meaning. And the other one is Bethsaida. Does anybody know what Bethsaida means? Fishtown. 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 Or a fishing village. That's what that means. And Capernaum means a comfortable town or village, and a jumbled up mess with no order. Now, what I didn't do is I didn't look up what tire inside mean. You may want to if you've got notes and you're writing anything. Look those up. Find out what those words mean. What those towns represent. Because the name of the town represented something. Bethsaida was known for its fishing. And Chorazim, which was in the same area, was known for nothing. If you drive up to Crystal, what's the first thing you think of in Crystal? Of course. What's that? Oh, gotcha, okay. Okay. So we all have different things that we know crystal by. I know it because I live there. That's home. That's home, okay? But crystal is known by different people for different things. Uh, some people say, oh, the palladium. Or the carousel. Oh. Carousel <laughs> you on a horse? Yes. So, but it, it's known for something. But what if what if uh, what if I were to take you to Butternut? Anybody know where Butternut's at? What's Butternut known for? I'll wait. Church. Okay. Okay, let's go a little further. What about Victory Belt? Feed mill. Belt. We drive for those a lot. Yeah, yeah. They have Big Island Shots. Big got a shots? What about a little bit, right? Eventually, you're going to come to a place. See, a lot of times that name is old. It's from old, older times, right? Uh, Victoryville had the, they had the feed grain mill right on the railroad tracks. It's still there, but nothing goes on there anymore. In fact, it's like listed on some website as being the most haunted place in Michigan. Whatever. No, the double no checks are not anymore. But the that is, I couldn't have a lot of nights there. But the, the thing is this, is that all of us have something in our lives that doesn't deserve a name. It doesn't deserve our time. It doesn't deserve our effort. And we desire so badly to put a name on it. We'll put Capernaum on it. Oh, it's comfortable here. That's not what it's, not what it's made for. That's not what it's meant for. And we certainly can't move our mess there, our jumble-up mess without order. Some of us have messes that go on for days, months, years. I had friends growing up that I loved the people, but they weren't clean people. And we would go to their house, and we would visit with them, and we always went, and we stayed way too long. And, And the house... It was just garbage everywhere. They weren't clean people. They were nice people, salt of the earth. People would give you the shirt off their back if you'd, even if you didn't want it. But their mess just went on for days without order, without any. It just It, did, it lacked any kind of sense as to why it was going on. And I know that one of the things we missing looking back now is that they didn't know Jesus. Now, would Jesus have made them cleaner people? I don't know. But sometimes the mess on the outside is indicative of the mess that's on the inside. Now, sometimes it's not. Sometimes you can be the cleanest, most put-together person on the outside. And everybody sees that, and they might think, oh, I want to be just like Marcia. Sorry, Marcia. That's not me. (laughs) Yeah. Okay, they might say, I want to be just like Tracy. Hmm. Hang on, let me get this straight. Oh, there we go. Okay, I'm skinny again, not really. But they look at they look at you, and they, they they don't realize that what's on the outside isn't what's on the inside, and what's on the inside doesn't show on the outside. I got off on a rabbit trail there. Sorry. Jesus, remember judgmental Jesus here, that's where I left off. Jesus made a judgment concerning not just a person, but entire cities. Think about that. What if somebody were to come along today, jump on the news, they they put a microphone in his face and a camera in his face, and they said, what do you think about Michigan? I think Michigan's in a sad state of affairs. Oh, he must be a Republican. I think Michigan. Uh, I think the unemployment's horrible. I think, um, and then you get, you just keep going, you keep digging, you get down to. I think that our our, our, our cities are um, falling apart for lack of infrastructure. They're falling apart because we don't take care of the least among us. Um, we we kill our children in the womb. We um, we overprescribe opioids, and we create a, 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 another pandemic that nobody wants to really talk about, which is which is this this desire and this needness addiction for opioids and and then we and then we man i wonder what would happen if somebody from 1940 or 1950 showed up today and saw what we are seeing marijuana sold on every corner every advertisement i'm delivering right now uh, on saturdays it's full of advertisements for marijuana as I said, that's one of my things that I kind of I fight with, you know, because I realize that there are some good things out of it. But I promise you, they don't care about that. That's the ruse. We have two of, two marijuana shops in Crystal. You know what Crystal's known for right now? Two marijuana shops with 2,000 people living in that town. I wonder why. I wonder why you need two of them. It's not because you know they bring the market down by by having two of them and having having uh, competition. It's because they want to hook as many people on that garbage as they can. How many does Stanton have? How many does Sheridan have? I know Sheridan's got one. Actually, Sheridan has two. One of them's just outside of town. One of them's in town. I don't know how many Greenville's got. I've been to Greenville. Why do you need so many of them? It's legal now, right? You can grow your own. Why do you need so many of them? Well, there's medicinal and there's recreational. Okay, so if we're doing it medicinally, it's okay. Recreationally, who cares what goes on after it? Because you know what the recreational stuff is? The recreational stuff is we got to make it stronger and more potent so you get your buzz on it. It could be more longer-lasting than anything else. I wonder what somebody who, if they could warp out of 1950 and warp to today, what they would think on tvs you never when i was a kid you never used to see ads for liquor now we got ads for liquor all over tv we sell we sell mixed cocktails in the can and we encourage people on the radio to go and buy these mixed cocktails and drink as many as you can get just stoned out of your door on alcohol we got betting just became legalized in michigan look i don't believe betting is necessarily a sin the Bible doesn't cover the sin, but nothing good ever happens when betting happens. Alright? They, 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 they were rolling dice or whatever at the foot of Jesus' cross for his clothes. Don't know that it was simple, but it surely wasn't a, a nice thing to do. They, they, they drew lots to, to draw for a new, a new uh a disciple after uh, Judas hung himself. Didn't God didn't, didn't Jesus choose his disciples? And then man says, oh, well, Jesus is here. I guess we'll do the next best thing. We'll get our own. So they drew lots, you know, from the So it's never a good thing to gamble, but, but look right now. We gamble on everything. Oh, we'll give you so many dollars and free bets. But that's not really winning. They just make it so you can bet more for free. These are the things that are going on and they're, they're becoming the norm now. Every kind of simple sexual act that's going on is promoted by society where it used to be shunned. And I got friends telling me, oh, it's your fault because you're the pastor and you don't preach against it. And I say, is it my fault or is it your fault because I don't see you in church hearing the word of God, adhering to the word of God, reading the word of God, being convicted by the word of God. Whose fault is it? I can't parent your kids. Do I take take some responsibility? Absolutely, I bear some responsibility. But we as a society, we as a nation, and I'm getting back to this whole society, right? Jesus said, you've seen the miracles, And if you you would have adhered to them, if these other nations would have adhered to them, I wouldn't have destroyed their cities, and now it's going to be worse for you because you won't come around. Because you're stiff-necked and you're, you're rebellious. And we're told humankind's getting better. And that we're also getting better, but that's not correct. In the past... There were times when all men knew about God, and most men worshipped him. How many times as a kid, when you got taken to church, was the church full? Because people made it a point to come together and worship. Because they'd been trained up in the way that they should go, and as they got older, they didn't depart from it. Look around. Look how many people have come here and left. Because we're just looking for that right church to fit in you're looking for a country club. You're not looking for the word of God. You're not looking to be challenged. You're not looking to have your sin exposed by the word of God. And you certainly don't want the Holy Spirit in your life. So out the door they go. See you later. See you later. I pray God sends somebody else across your path that will say the right words, that will, that will be more a people person, more a hand holder. I pray that that's what God does. because that... Apparently I can't get it right. Because I can't meet your standard. You know what the problem is? They won't let God meet their standard. They won't allow Jesus to be the standard. After, After Adam and Eve left the garden, for generations that's how it was. They taught their children about God. They spent time with their children teaching them about God. However, we read in the Bible that, that mankind turned from gods and they turned to idols. And, and that man became so corrupt that every imagining of his heart was continually on evil. Does this sound like the world we live in today? Because that sounds a whole lot more like what we're living in today than, than what the news would have us be, uh, believe. No one his family came through the flood, and once again for generations, all men again recognized God. But in order for that to happen, God had to wipe out entire communities, the whole world in fact, and he saved just a few. No one his family came through that flood, but in the long run, some of them turned away from God and towards idols, their descendants. Because we're not duly keeping after raising our children in a godly manner. Right? I mean, it's got to be our fault, right? You know what we're leaving out? Rebellion? That same person who wanted to talk to me about it being my fault, about being a pastor and and, and so many people in the church turning to homosexuality and sinful behavior and, and, and every other horrible thing that goes on, every sin... The same one that would blame me for that, what they won't do is they won't cover the fact that we're rebellious. You know why I'm here in church? You know why I I am here? Because I realized I was rebellious. I realized that I was sinful. I realized that I needed a Savior. That's not why I'm here, but that's why I'm in church. That's why I'm serving God. Because I realized who I was, I realized what He did, and I responded to it. Rebellion would have kept me from ever responding to that. Rebellion would have kept you from responding to that. Rebellion has kept your children from responding to that. Your husbands from responding to that. Your brothers, your sisters, your moms, your dads from responding to that because it's rebellion. It's stiff-necked. Mm-mm. I'm stubborn. I ain't, I'm not turning. I'm not believing. I'm not, no, I'm not doing it. The people in all these cities, the Sodom Gomorrah, that was found in Genesis, they're depraved. And they had had rejected God, and God punished Sodom and Gomorrah for it. 2,000 years afterward, Jesus reprimanded Capernaum, Chorazin, and Bethsaida, and warned them that they might face a similar, similar, similar fate. These were cities of privilege. What's the world say we have a whole lot of right now? Privilege. Privilege. You can put whatever color you want in front of it. It's privilege. In Genesis, we, we read that the Lord rained upon Sodom and, and upon Gomorrah brimstone from the Lord out of heaven in Genesis 19.24. God saw to it that Lot was safely inside Zor, and then the rain came. Brimstone and fire fell from heaven, bringing total destruction to Sodom, Gomorrah, and all of the other seven cities in the, in the plain. And that day dawned clear and bright with no sign of impending storm. That day was just like every other day. You know, how many of you are looking for Jesus to return? And every day when you wake up and it's a day just like yesterday, you think, oh, today's not the day. It ain't it ain't, the day ain't over yet. Amen. <laughs> the day ain't over yet. The sun's still rising somewhere else. Amen. Jesus' words of warning to these cities, just like God had warned Sodom and Gomorrah multiple times had gone in. Remember the whole thing with with, with Lot and, and, and the, the earlier story where the, the guy went there and he offered up his wife, or his daughter. Remember, and they they basically raped her to death. That's much earlier, of course, but... Or, well, later on, I guess, but... Never mind, disregard I'm I'm mixing my stories. Sorry. Um, Jesus was warning these cities. God had poured out his anger. You know when God pours out his anger, it's not just a little. God does things completely. Four dollars' anger on Sodom and Gomorrah, and they're gone. You know that today, actually this week, I was reading a story. And I love how um, the world tries to brush God into the carpet. I was reading a story about how Sodom, and Gomorrah, and those other cities actually came to their end. The Bible has it wrong. Some scientists with their theories theorize that a meteor three miles in diameter came crashing through the atmosphere, at just the same time that the Bible is talking about it. And when it came crashing through the atmosphere, it fell to Earth and it hit with such force that the the impact was the same as, as 20 atom bombs, 20 of the bombs that leveled Nagasaki and Hiroshima. And when it did, it superheated the atmosphere which would have literally caused the people to melt. And it burned with such an intense heat that it, it, it literally burned stone to nothing. And that's why we don't have Sodom anymore anymore. But didn't Jesus, didn't God say that he destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah by dropping fire and brimstone? So, isn't man's idea really only their best idea really only proving what God said long before they had a theory about it. I mean, even though they try to make the story better and they try to give it more depth, all it really does is prove that God is who he says he is, that he's done what he said he's done. Do you know that that's a, that's a just God doing that? God, when he corrects us, he corrects us to the nth degree. And what do we do in response to the people? If we don't die from it, oh God, you're so old-fashioned. Don't you realize that we're a lot more hip now than we used to be, Lord? I mean, they wouldn't say Lord because that would, you know, that would uh, imply that he's their master. Jesus' word of warning to the cities of his time was it, is in Matthew 11, verses 20 through 30. And here he pronounces woe upon those who had great privilege. Of he, Here's the privilege that those towns were dealing with. They had the privilege of hearing the gospel, not from a pastor, not from a street preacher, not from an evangelist, not from a visiting missionary, not from a lovely old grandmother who just loved you enough to tell you the truth. They heard the truth from God himself. And they rejected it. God rejects our privilege. We live in a time where we, where the Bible is the best-selling book in the world. By far. Like two times more than the next best thing. Or better. Or even more. I'm such a rube. I bought like 40 of them. You know what I find out? I'll say the same thing. I got the same story. 40 times. And then the ones that I've given away. But that's. But I'm a rube. We have the privilege of un. What's the word I want? Nobody stops us from seeking God. God doesn't keep us from, from approaching Him. God will never, ever keep an unrepentant person from approaching Him. God welcomes all comers. No matter how how comfortable you've been, how much of a mess you've got, or how much of a mess you don't think you've got, God welcomes all comers. Come to me, you who are weary and heavy laden. Take from me my yoke because it's easy and my burden is comfortable. What? 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 Come and give me what I offer you. Come and take from me what I offer you. Comfortable, light. Okay? I use comfortable. Don't skewer me. Jesus rebuked these cities because they'd seen his great works. And he heard, they heard the wonderful words of hope and they experienced his graciousness first hand. Why? Don't mess with my comfort, Jesus. I don't want my walls to come falling down around me if you come into my life. And you know what that's really saying is, I may not have it all under control, but I'm, I'm, I'm comfortable with how it is. Just like today, people were coming to Jesus for many reasons. They came to Him for their healing. They came to Him to be fed. They came to Him to witness the things that He was saying and doing. And then they came to Him to be fed again. They wanted blessings and healing and miracles and finances. Oh my. We really haven't changed. In the two thousand years since since he hung on the cross, we've not changed. We all go to Jesus with our hands out. We we want we want to we want to receive from Jesus from His hand, but we don't want to seek His face. We don't want an intimacy with Him. We just want the benefits of the relationship. This this, this week I was listening to. Spotify. And I was, as I was delivering mail, I was listening to this 80s station. It was 80s music. I grew up in the 80s. And there was a song that I don't remember ever hearing before. I remember hearing about the song, but I never listened to it because, like, I thought that any song that was, that was, like, secular or worldly that talked about Jesus wasn't going to talk about Jesus in a good way. And the title of the song was Personal Jesus. And I was like, I never like, felt like I needed to listen to that. Well, it came up on the, the station I was listening to, and I'm listening to it, and I'm listening to the words, and I'm like, trying to make it out. You know, first time you have really heard the song, you're trying to figure it out. And in the 80s, they mumbled a lot. And, and he said, you, I'll be your own personal Jesus. I'll be your own personal Jesus. Reach out and touch me. And I thought, man, even the world knows how to respond to Jesus hasn't changed. We all want a personal Jesus. We want a personal Jesus that doesn't offend us, that doesn't judge us, that doesn't um, cause us to have to uh, be shameful for our sin. We want a personal Jesus that certainly doesn't judge us like he judged those cities, like he he warned those cities that weren't going to respond. We don't want that Jesus. We want our own personal Jesus. One that's, that behaves like we would behave, that acts in the manner that we would act. And then will reach out and touch me when I need to be touched. When I need to touch for my finances, or for my sickness, or for my uh, uh, marriage, or... That, you know, that's a... We shall have no other gods before him. We shall make no god in any likeness We won't worship any false idols. In order to have our own personal Jesus that's going to reach out and touch us, we have to break two, at least two commandments for that, maybe three with coveting, because we'll do anything we can to get it. I don't know if I'm just doing a whole lot of rambling this morning or not, or maybe it's preaching or I don't know, or I'm a little, I'm, I'm a little impassioned this morning. Sorry, not sorry. In Romans chapter 3, verse 9 through 20, it says this. And I think of this in response to those cities. What then? Are we better than they? Not at all. For we have previously charged both Jews and Greeks that they are all under sin. As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks after God. They've all turned aside and they've all together become unprofitable. There is none who does good, no, not one. Their throat is an open tomb. With their tongues they have practiced deceit. The poison of asps is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift and shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their ways, and the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped and that all the world may become guilty before God. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. You know what living in that comfortable village does? It absolves us from the knowledge of sin. We, we, it doesn't absolve us. It um, insulates us from it. Comfort insulates us from the things of God. Comfort insulates us from the Holy Spirit being active in our lives. In fact, I would say comfort pushes that away. It doesn't just insulate, it pushes God away. It pushes the Holy Spirit away. Because we've made comfort our God. Jesus is saying to the residents of Tyre and Sidon, They'd received the benefits of Christ's preaching that if, that if Tyre and Sidon had, um, they would have received Christ's preaching. And seeing the miracles which were done in Chorazin, they would have repented. As I said, every time Jesus shows up in Capernaum, in the Bible, he's addressing something. What's Jesus addressing with Chorazin? Bethsaida, and Capernaum. They're on repentance. See, repentance takes time. Repentance requires attention. Repentance requires examination. We're supposed to examine ourselves to see if we be found in the faith. When we are unrepentant of our sins, when we are when we sweep them under the rug or hide them in the closet or Whatever it is that we do, whenever we do those things where that's an unrepentance, that's something that's not dealt with. And God wants to deal with our Capernaum. The first week, He was dealing with ministry. Jesus showed up what was lacking ministry. Jesus provided ministry. Last week, we talked about Jesus showed up and what was Jesus doing last week? Anybody remember? Jesus was dealing with authority. He focused on authority. The centurion focused on authority and and on Jesus' authority and said that I am under your authority and I have people under me who are under authority and I say go and they go. And I know that if you'll speak to this thing, it'll go. Because you you have that authority. Well, this week he's dealing with unrepentance. He's dealing with the ones who would say... Not today. It's really not a problem. I got this. I got all my little sins and all my little messes and little separate piles and don't move them around because if you move them around I won't be able to find them for later. Don't touch my stuff, Jesus. I got a few more things I want to share. I'm I'm just kind of skipping over stuff because I didn't realize it was going to take me this long to get through it, but I'm going I'm to get a few things. Some great truths that are expressed in these words from, from Jesus in Matthew and Luke. Everyone that hears the gospel is either wonderfully blessed or left more wretched than before. For the word of God will not return void, but it always has an impact. It, it, doesn't, it accomplishes what God sets it out. It accomplishes what God has sent it to do. Sometimes what the Word of God does is it pushes people further away from God. That's not a very popular thing to hear, is it? Some people are just going to be pushed further and further away from God. God is a sensitive, tender, loving God, but He's also a tough love God. He's sensitive and tender to your situation. But it doesn't mean that He becomes unjust to live with you in your sin. Because that would be a... a, uh, What's the word I'm looking for? Man, I'm having trouble with my words this morning. It doesn't belong. God can't break the law to fulfill His law. God can't unbecome who He is to become who you need Him to be. His word accomplishes what he sets out for it to do. The miracles that Jesus did were done for the purpose of leading men to repentance. If Jesus caused, if your biggest financial need, the biggest thing in your life was, I need to pay off my mortgage, Lord. I got myself in a mess and I've got to pay off my mortgage, Lord. And if you'll just make a way for me to pay off this mess, Lord. Thank you, that'd be so wonderful. Now, if God somehow did a miracle to pay off your mortgage, I'm not saying he would, but if he did, would you repent? Because, see, that was, your, your, that was what you thought was your biggest need. If, 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 if grandma laying in the hospital dying of cancer was your biggest need, and you went to him and you said, Lord... I'm not done with Grandma yet. I love Grandma. I need to spend more time with Grandma, Lord. There's things I need to say to Grandma. And God healed Grandma. That doesn't mean you're saved. The idea is that if God did heal, if God did give life, if God did return vitality, he's looking to see how you respond all these miracles God did that Jesus wrought were to bring about a response from the people and they wouldn't respond. The miracles were worked. The prayers were answered. The the begging was, was repaid with healing and they didn't repent. And the men who stood condemned at judgment or will stand condemned at judgment there's a difference, and the punishment will be more dreadful for some than the others. How do you know that? Jesus said so. Sodom, think about Sodom. Think about what God did with Sodom. He said, for Capernaum, for the comfortable and the ones who are living in the jumbled- up mess, without order in your life, I mean, what's the order? I'm going to tell you the order is Jesus. If you're living comfortable without Jesus, the day of judgment will be more tolerable for the city he's already destroyed than it will be for you. And finally, one of the truths is that God takes into account our opportunities before he measures out our guiltiness and sets up our judgment. He looks at the opportunities we've had to respond. And how many times have we been stiff-necked? You know when God stops counting, how many times you've been stiff-necked about receiving him? When you receive him. Because then it doesn't matter anymore. Because your sins are as far as from the east as from the west. He, Greg Greg Laurie says, he casts him into the sea of unforgetfulness and he plants a no-fishing sign, never to be brought up again. Can't even bring it up with that old boot. There's true repentance through Christ. Even the greatest sin will be pardoned and the greatest ruin prevented. And Sodom's no exception. must be for, uh, a forewarning to the people of this era that we're living in today that on the great day of judgment, our punishment's going to be greater than that, than those who, who failed with Capernaum because greater debtors than, than they are we've received the gospel more freely and easily. We come to church on a a weekly basis. We hear messages that I hope encourage you, I hope make you think, I hope make you act. And then we need to respond. We have more of the Word of God today than I believe in any time in history. We have people who who seek Jesus' face, who, who get in their prayer closet, who, who are encouraged by... I mean, we can hear preaching 24 hours a day. Every day if we want. We, can, we have the opportunity to read our Bible all day long. We can read it as little or as much as possible. We can have as much activity and interaction. Do you know that God doesn't have a schedule for you to call ahead, and, and get on his schedule for today? Jesus said, no man comes to the Father except through me. Guess what? Jesus, I need to speak to God this morning. Come on in. There's no closed door. though. There's an open door policy with God. We have the opportunity always to come into his presence. I don't have to sit in the waiting room thinking, oh my gosh, maybe I'm just being dumb about this. Maybe, just go to him. Just go to him. Paul, I've got this thorn. I've asked you, Lord, to, to relieve me of this sore thorn three times, Lord. And I know it's a situation. I know it's something I can't get free of. It's, it's in there deep, Lord, and I can't get it out, and I can't deal with it anymore. Everything I touch hurts. I, I, what am I doing? God says, my grace is sufficient. You're going to deal with this, but my grace is sufficient to get you through it. You know what Paul didn't do? Paul didn't ask God not to fix the thorn. Think about that. He said, I didn't ask you once, Lord. I didn't ask you twice. I asked you three times, Lord, to deal with this thorn in my flesh. He recognized that there was something wrong in his life that was uncharacteristic with his walk with Jesus. And he addressed it with the Lord. He was repenting to the Lord for this thorn in his flesh. Whether it was a maybe he was a, still had a bit of that religious spirit he was dealing with, or maybe maybe he he maybe he embellished a little. I don't know. I don't know what his sin in the flesh was. Maybe who knows? But he, he was repenting. He was bringing it before God. He was saying, "Lord, take this out of my life." I can be free from it forever. That's what repentance is. Repentance is realizing you've got a problem that you can't fix. And you ask the one who can to do it. That's repentance. And then you turn around. You have a change of mind. You have a change of location. You have a change of focus. And then you follow me. That's repentance. If you're dealing with things, if you have things in your life that are unrepentant, you might think, oh, I've prayed to Jesus once since 1952. I'm, we're good. Me and Jesus, we're good. We're not. I walked an aisle and I'm seven. I was seven. I don't, have to, I don't have to do anything else. I don't have to pray to him anymore. I don't have to read his word. I don't have to. I don't have to. I don't have to. Okay, you don't have to. Convince me. You don't have to. But what we do have to do is repent. What you do have to do, that's a continual process. Is anybody here that hasn't repented this week or something? Has anybody repented for something this week? Yeah, that's the wording. Okay, if you work the question right, you get the answer you're after. (laughs) (laughs) We serve a good God, a loving God, a patient God. But He is a just God. And He doesn't forget our sins unless we repent. Amen. All right. I just Okay, that's all. That's all I wanted to share this morning.